Welcome to Telegeography Explains the Internet, the show that explores the business behind all of the ways humans stay connected around the world. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and my guest today is Michael Winston, Director of Global Network Architecture and Automation at Fiserv. He's been on the show a couple of times before in our previous iteration as the WAN Manager podcast, but I invited him on today to have a conversation mostly focused around network as a service, but this time from the perspective of someone who's already using that service in their enterprise WAN. So after my episode earlier this season with Jim Poole from Equinix, I got some listener feedback that it would be nice to have NAS explained in greater detail. Of course, we have touched on this topic a few times in the show, so it can be easy to assume that the audience and the guest and I are always on the same page. But of course, part of what keeps this industry so interesting is that it's constantly moving forward and we're all constantly learning about new things. So Michael struck me as a great guest to sort of back up a bit on NAS and give us a full picture of exactly how it works, what it accomplishes, and how to employ it from a corporate network perspective. So we talked about the fabric providers, um, how to define their service and some use cases for those services. We also got into some of the over-the-top providers and, and how they might differ in how they go to market and exactly what they're doing. And Michael's really in a good position to speculate on the uptake of this new technology. He is the leader of the Florida chapter of the U.S. Network User Association, so he gets to talk to some of his peers in the industry and is generally interested in staying up on a lot of these new technologies. Uh, so we discussed how that uptake might uh, develop over the next few years, but importantly, how it might impact traditional WAN configurations and traditional WAN service providers. So Michael is not only very knowledgeable, but he is far from a taciturn guest. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Enjoy. All right. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Michael. I should say back to my podcast. It, there has been a name change since the last time you were on that you were on the, the WAN Manager podcast. Now we're Telegeography Explains the Internet, but still, welcome back. Thank you very much, Greg. Happy to be here. Really excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have to say on this topic because you are a, a uh, an outspoken and super knowledgeable person, which is a great marriage. <laughs> always, so lots of people have opinions, but those opinions don't always go with a lot of facts and not knowledge <laughs> to back it up. So <laughs> that's great. Um, so, but you've been on a couple of times before, um, but uh, you know we have always new listeners coming on board and that sort of thing. Could you just kind of reintroduce yourself and um, you know what you do at, at Pfizer? Sure, happy to. So, Michael Winston, Director of Network Security Architecture and Automation as well. I work at Fiserv, which is one of the world's largest financial services providers. We exist in every continent. We are part of most transactions that you go through, whether it's banking, debit, credit, ACH, um, bill pay, and a number of other services. We're a Fortune 200 company, and we're um, yeah, pretty big. Yeah, well, and, and also brings you an interesting perspective um, as as a network manager that you're not just, you know, I, I've had folks on who manage, say, uh, the network for a staffing agency or, uh, you know, accounting firm. You're not just managing network for the back office or, or whatever of, of a corporation, but also have clients for whom you are uh, sort of procuring and, and providing network-like services, right? Yeah. So that's a really interesting part of our business. So we consider ourselves a financial services service provider. So a lot of banks, um, merchants, they use our managed SD-WAN service in order to process debit, credit, ACH, and banking transactions. And we have different models for that. Some of the models are just plain vanilla IPsec. Some are full-blown managed SD-WAN. Um, for some of our larger customers, we do 
meet in the middle at COLA facilities like Equinix or um, you know some of the other uh, COLA providers, uh, Digital Realty. And so we've got a very large managed service business. We also have our infrastructure internally, which provides the connectivity for all of the applications that we provide to our customers for. So when we look at platforms, we don't just look at it for traditional inside in our infrastructure, in our data centers, in our WAN. We also look at it, how it handles um, PCI, PII, and all of the secure information that we handle for our customers daily. Mm-hmm. So security is always top of mind. Absolutely, absolutely. But it gives you that kind of like quasi end user, quasi service provider perspective of uh, and yep. and is why you're one, you have a very large team, right? At, uh, yeah. uh, at of, of engineers, like certainly compared to, I, I talked to many companies of wow. maybe not the same size of number of sites, but uh, of similar size in terms of employees and whatnot that have a few dozen folks on their team. You have several hundred, right? So, so what, what's really interesting is we like to think, Mike, um, it's true. So our network engineering organization, which includes uh, security engineering as well, Mm-hmm. is a $300 million P&L operation every year, mm-hmm. which means if we were an independent company, we would be a Fortune 500 company simply based on the size of our right. organization. Right. Um, myself, I've got 25 um, architects and automation engineers that work on my team, mm-hmm. building, designing, and developing all of that infrastructure. So as you said, and, and we are global in scope, I've got a number of folks who work for me um, just about in every time zone. So mm-hmm. always on um developing the technology and and as as you mentioned because we do see both sides the service provider and the client side exists a really interesting perspective for deploying our infrastructure over thirty thousand different types of endpoints right yeah excellent all right and so one more thing before we get into our main topic today talking about fabric providers and and uh where they're headed in use cases and whatnot i just wanted to to highlight that that you are the the leader of the Florida chapter of the U.S. Uh, Network User Association, is that right? Tell us about that. Yeah. I've had on the the sort of founder of the Network User Association, Jason, Jason Ginter, before, um, but we didn't really talk about that organization. I think uh, th- this would be a great time to sort of make any listeners who aren't aware um, uh, of what you guys are doing over there. So um, we took a page from the ONUG. Um, mm-hmm. book. So ONUG, for those who aren't familiar, is an organization of end users that you know develop and look at different technologies. Um, and what we did was we took that and we took it one step further to start setting up um, chapters in all of the different states of mm-hmm. North America, um, for now just North American based, where we get together with other infrastructure engineers, architects, and we bring in vendors to host a vendor agnostic event mm-hmm. where our um, end users and um, engineers and architects are invited to come in, listen to speakers from whether it's Network to Code or Arista or Cisco or Juniper or Palo Alto or any number of service providers as well, and learn and ask and get hands, um, get an opportunity to make connections in the uh, infrastructure industry. So I started a chapter here in Florida when I relocated down here about a year ago. It's going really well. We've had a number of very successful events and we are um, looking forward to continuing to grow the organization. So if you go to usnua.org or just Google USNUA Networking Association, you'll probably find a branch somewhere in your state. And if not, Feel free start to reach one. out and start one yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I not, I noticed I, I didn't see one in, in Maryland or Virginia. I'm, I'm in D.C., of course. And so, uh, yeah, encourage any anyone local listening that let's let's get it started. I can't start one because I'm not a network user. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, Michael. So our main topic for the day is NAS. We've talked about that on the show in, in various contexts, but today I want to focus primarily on uh, so-called fabric providers or sort of the pure play 
NAS providers. What I mean by that are like the packet fabric, megaports of the world, or from from the data center side, uh, Equinix fabric or, or digital realty service fabrics, uh, those kinds of services. So as as a, a user of them and a, a networking expert, I was hoping maybe you could just help us um, clearly define those services. What are they actually doing? And, and how do you use them as, as, a, as an enterprise uh, WAN uh, manager? Okay, so happy to do that. So one of the things that um, has happened over the last few years, with the move to public cloud, with the move to internet of things, with the move to edge computing and edge networking, what's really interesting is we've seen a disaggregation of our infrastructure. So, you know, going mm-hmm. back, you know, pre-public cloud and all those other things I mentioned, you'd have your big data center, you'd have your WAN circuits, and everyone would come in and they would connect to your WAN, or if you had uh, customers, they might drop a router in your data center and they'd buy a, an MPLS or, you know, TDM circuit. With the Internet of Things and public cloud and all of those other services, what started to happen because of the disaggregation of all of the infrastructure that your clients want to consume, you now either have to provide connectivity in every single place to all of the internal or external clients where you're hosting a service. So if you're hosting it in AWS or GCP or Azure or Oracle or any of the multitude of SaaS-based services, you either have to build connectivity to there back to your data center, back to your clients, or potentially a full mesh, which can become a real nightmare. There's a lot more hops than there used to be, basically. A lot more hops, a lot more complexity, a lot of complexity in the routing infrastructure, and a significant cost because Mm -hmm. you buy a circuit that has some fixed amount of bandwidth, and you're paying for that fixed amount of bandwidth, whether you're developing a service or you have a relatively mature service that you're trying to offer, you might not know exactly how much bandwidth you are going to need in six months. And as we're all familiar with, you know, turnaround time for MPLS or even broadband or DIA, even if it's, you know, 60 to 90 days, that reduces your velocity for delivering those new services. And 60 to 90 days might be a win, frankly. Yes, 60 to 90 days. Well, I'm going based on, you know, internet, broadband, and DIA, not, not MPLS. MPLS mm-hmm, is always mm-hmm. a much right. longer window than that. So along comes a lot of these um, network as a service or fabric-based networks that what they're doing is they've bought bandwidth from traditional service providers who have built these really expensive fiber networks all across the country. And they buy, you know, Lambdas, they buy bandwidth. And they then resell it to you as a layer two or layer three base fabric network. Mm -hmm. So if you look at, um, let's start with uh, packet fabric. So what packet fabric is built in North America is they've put pops into the largest um, colo providers like Equinix, Digital Realty, and a number of others where if you're there and you plug into their network, they can give you a layer two port and they're adding more services every day where they can do um, VPN, they can do MACSEC, they can do all different types of encryption. And that layer two port, they then put you on their backbone where they've built connectivity between yourself and wherever they have their other points of presence. Mm -hmm. So in doing that, they're now selling you Ethernet as a service, and you can buy that service um, with a pay-as-you-go option. You can buy it with fixed bandwidth. And the opportunity and the fact that it's relatively quick delivery, it's self-service. So if you go onto their portal and you happen to be in a location, you do an LOA, and then you just need the cable run if you don't already have the cable run to them, and you can be up and running in 24, 48 hours or yeah. even less. Right. And yeah, and I think that that's the key difference. Uh, in, a, in a way, you're describing, it sounds like, oh, okay, so it's basically just a, a layer two version of 
an any to any IP port, but the key is that it's it's on demand. It's still layer two. It still has the privacy, the directness of connecting to a particular cloud service, for example, or something like that. Um, uh, and it's not over public internet backbone infrastructure. So, so the public internet backbone is very dependable, right? You know, everybody uses it every mm-hmm. day. That's what we're doing right now. Right. Um, but sometimes you need a little bit more of a guarantee of a level of service, right? So if I'm right. doing um, in doing transactions or I'm doing um, high bandwidth streaming or I'm doing data center replication and I don't want to pay for a permanent circuit or I don't want to buy a circuit you know, that's larger than I might need now or smaller than I might need mm-hmm. in six months, by having this opportunity and all a majority of these network as a service providers, like, you know, Packet Fabric, Megaport, um, I get to Equinix and Digital Realty in a minute because they're a little sure. different. Mm-hmm. They offer connectivity as well to public cloud providers. So, you know, the same way I have a port that might connect, you know, two of my locations or three of my locations together, or even connect us into a location where a client is hosted. So I no longer have to bring a circuit in from a client into my data center or even into my colo because the virtual circuits were all there. It, it gives us the opportunity to also connect to public cloud services or other right. SaaS-based services from these networks. So it's, it's a really interesting concept um, because it's an all OpEx model, mm-hmm. right? The only mm-hmm. CapEx I have to invest is in the local switch or router or NFB infrastructure I'm building inside of my colo facility. Otherwise, that's it. I'm not paying for fiber runs or anything else in order to make that connectivity happen. Right, and and just to to sort of back things up, I've 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 sometimes gotten feedback about the shows. Oh, I wish you would you would explain certain things in in greater detail. That that one of the key drivers for this is that um, the the changing nature of compute and data storage and utilizing tools like Kubernetes in the cloud and all this kind of thing on the IT side has made it so that traffic is really different than it used to be. So if we go back a long time ago as a WAN manager buying an MPLS network, you would sort of um, decide based on office size and that and what you're running and that sort of thing, how, how much bandwidth you needed and that's what you had for three years. Whereas the compute environment really lends itself toward, toward, well, occasionally I really need a huge amount of data to go to this particular CSP or to this particular container or whatever the case may be. And so this model works with that so much better than trying to plan years ahead of time in some cases, how much (laughs) bandwidth you might need, right? Exactly. So, you know, as you mentioned, you know, CSPs, so... Everyone is doing public cloud migration. Everyone mm-hmm. is moving workloads to public cloud. How do you get your data there? So one of the other things um, with Equinix or um, digital realty is they're also partnering with traditional telco providers. Mm-hmm. So you can actually, if you're not in an Equinix facility or you don't, you didn't build all of your infrastructure in Equinix facility, but say you have a circuit with Verizon, or you have a circuit with AT&T or, or CenturyLink or any other large provider, a lot of them are now partnering with these um, network as a service providers so that they can actually, in the same way with Verizon, you can get their um, secure cloud interconnect so you can get right onto Azure or AWS from Verizon's MPLS network. You can now do the same thing with the Equinix fabric. So. Imagine right. now I'm in my data center and from my data center, I have, you know, a uh, high bandwidth circuit to, you know, Verizon over, you know, traditional MPLS, but I want to move a bunch of workloads to public cloud. And I've built out some NFB workloads inside of an Equinix facility where I have, um, uh, you know, a, a express route to Azure or direct connect to AWS, I can use my data center connectivity with Verizon to get on an Equinix um, fabric exchange port that brings me right into my colo facility or brings me right to the cloud provider. So the, the variety of opportunities of connectivity 
that this creates means, as you mentioned before, I no longer have to plan months in advance because mm -hmm. these fabric networks all exist. And because they can give you a layer two port, I can build whatever I want on either end. I can do IPsec DPN, I can do SD-WAN, I can do some other type of software-defined network infrastructure, which allows you to then build your own overlay on top of that environment. Right. Yeah, you, and, and it brings up an important point too. I, I had Jim Poole from Equinix on the show actually, and we were talking about how you know their, their sort of competitive advantage of this uh, um, is that they are everywhere, so it's easier mm -hmm. to get to them, right? And then they you know are have an easier time getting to your end destination, whatever that might be, like you know uh, AWS or something like that. So, so it it's making it's facilitating all of these uh, as a service tools, X as a service kind of tools working better that that you're able to get to them right away rather than, you know, so we're in the, in the, the, uh, sort of setup that you created in the, in the beginning, um, of this, okay, I have my, uh, servers on prem, or maybe my customers have, have located routers, uh, with those. And there's just a lot of complex, um, you know, tromboning and, uh, mm -hmm. and traveling going on there that, that this model helps get rid of by being sort of geographically ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. So, so let's highlight some of that, right? So it's self-service. So I don't have to call the telco provider and schedule delivery for a circuit to be installed. Mm. It's paid. So you have a portal. You can buy it in the, the app store, like, like, like as consumers exactly. were used to doing everything else, right? right. Yeah. You, go, you go to you know, the packet fabric um, store or the mega port store. You click the drop down, what location you're in. You click how much bandwidth you want, where you want that to bandwidth mm -hmm. to go. And then it produces an LOA so that if you don't have the cabling run, they can run the cable from your cage to their cage or whatever right. it might need. Um, but that's a, you know, in all these co-op facilities, that's a 24, 48 hour turnaround. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and if you already have the cable run, if you're already, already consuming that service, then it makes the turnaround time even faster. So it's right. self-service. Immediate, essentially, right? right. If, if you're, already, you're already on... Packet yeah. fabric or Equinix fabric or something, it's it's the click of a button essentially. Yeah. And so it's self-service, it's pay as you go, it's layer two, so you can build essentially whatever you want. So mm -hmm. the potential there is really um, rather limitless in what you can do. Right. Um, and and what's really interesting is we're also starting to see other um, organizations, other vendors and, and companies start to spring up that are actually going, huh. We could use that, buy that, turn it around, and turn it into a service ourselves because now you've also got the public cloud providers like AWS and their direct link or um, Google. Azure's not there yet, but they have made announcements. They'll be there soon, being willing to actually allow you to buy bandwidth across their backbone as well. So it gives you a real any-to-any -any international connectivity model that doesn't require engaging um, what we'll call a more traditional service provider environment. Right. And, and that's the key too. that, that global. So not even like it's just, okay, I need to get from wherever I am to sort of, you know, wh where this instance is, but you can be connecting your own assets at, at, at different parts of the globe across these fabrics without you having to know what, what the routing is exactly and well, all that sort of thing. Well, so, yeah, sorry, go ahead. So so using that kind of technology, we've built our own international SD-WAN backbone across mm -hmm. Equinix Fabric, Megaport, Packet Fabric, um, Internet, um, AWS directly, so that we mm -hmm. built our own overlay oh, and, and Internet, of course. We built our own overlay across that with our SD-WAN technology so that now we're getting multi-pathing, reduced cost, pay-as-you-go, and a much more economic infrastructure than we would when we were using traditional MPLS-type connectivity, mm -hmm. especially in international sites. If you go to purchase AT&T, Verizon, or any of our domestic North American carriers in any of these international locations, they're purchasing through a third party, plugging right. it into their cloud, and they're charging you uh, quite a significant VIG on top of that 
in mm-hmm. order to bring that service into your into your infrastructure. Right, but you haven't then had to, you know, because certainly I've talked to a lot of enterprises who have gone through the process of kind of building out their own backbone around the world, you know, and this 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 has its, uh, you know, use case. There's no doubt of you know behoove someone to maybe buy a bunch of. 100G wavelengths and stuff like that. But this allows you to do that kind of virtually on an as-needed basis um, uh, with, without having to get into a bunch of transactions with all the regional carriers and, and whatnot. Exactly, right? So, you know, I'm I'm not overly concerned about the um, submarine cable map mm-hmm. that goes underneath the water because... For me, I'm buying it as a service. You can I, you I'm, can abstract that away. I can abstract that away, <laughs> right, right? right? So, you know, in in the past, when I, I worked at other um, financial providers and trading companies, and we had two offices that were connected together, you know, across the continent or in different continents, we would put our own fiber in the ground. We would lay our own mm-hmm. cable or contract with cable providers and buy dedicated bandwidth across. But the, the downside of that is then you're limiting your path. You're mm-hmm. also beholden to some multi-year contract right. because they're using your capital that you're giving them to purchase and lay mm-hmm. that cable across the ocean floor. Whereas here I'm using just as an operational cost what's already been paid for by those companies or by Google or Amazon when they're laying that fiber across the ocean as well. So it, it's a real um, economy of scale opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, in North America, you know, we do have, uh, you know, a, a very large multi-hundred gig, you know, dedicated fiber backbone that we've purchased. That's, you know, not using Equinix or packing fabric or, or that, but that's a multi-hundred gig infrastructure, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and you don't need that everywhere to your clients. You don't need that everywhere to all of your um, branch locations. So this gives you a really good alternative solution. Right, right. Now we've we've touched on this uh, a little bit, but I just want to want to sort of laser beam focus on. Could you give us maybe from your experience at Pfizer or or your your general experience in the industry, talking to lots of folks and whatnot, a particular sort of like use case? I mean, down to the like I needed to spin up this kind of bandwidth between X and Y for this reason, like that, why, why uh, you, you might log on to the, uh, you know, sort of fabric providers portal. Sure. So one of the services that we offer is we offer, you know, transaction services for all of our clients and a number of our clients are, are larger clients are using colo or internet of things type of technology in order mm-hmm. to reduce latency for card processing time. Or because in these stores where they're offering even more services that need some kind of real time. So you walk into a, you know, a Home Depot and you walk up to a kiosk and you don't see what you need in that, you know, that location. And you can find out which location it's in entirely on your own. And you can purchase it right there and either have it shipped to the store or shipped to you. So what's happening is because you need more of that real time feedback for the end user in these retail locations, the retailers are trying to expand the number of places where they can do processing. Mm -hmm. Now, in order to expand the number of places where they do processing, they're engaging in um, edge compute, but they still want to connect back into, um, you know, Fiserv or other card processors, but they want to do it from those locations, right? They don't want to back all those new you know, lower latency locations, their own data centers, just to connect to us. Right. So because they're building these pops in these um, colo provider hoteling locations like Equinix, we can then just turn up a Equinix cloud fabric port from our cage directly into there, whatever Equinix location they might be in, Mm -hmm. without having to build a circuit all the way back to for, for you know, Home Depot to build a circuit back to their data center right. to then, and you know, this is, you know, just one example. And you don't but even it, have to know where any of those endpoints are. Right. That's, that's I don't, where, for, I don't yeah. have to know where they are as, as long as they're, you know, in a site that supports the Equinix fabric. And, mm-hmm. and what's even better is be, if they don't, if they're not in an Equinix site, they're in a uh, megaport site. So we've got um, locations in APAC 
where Equinix does not have the same footprint they have maybe in North America, but Megaport is the larger provider there. We can back all the way from Megaport and APAC back to our sites in North America. And, you know, I know the pathing has, you know, there's multi-pathing, there's ECMP, there's all sorts of um, failure and resiliency built into Megaport's infrastructure. And again, self-service pays you go almost mm-hmm. instant turnaround time. Right. Excellent. Okay. I, that, that was an, a, a great example. I appreciate that because it it's always helpful when you're learning about these new technologies to say, okay, here's what someone could actually do with this and, and why would it improve their, their business process, right? So, um, you know, one, one more question I have on, on the sort of um, general uh, marketplace of, of network as a service providers is there's, a, there's another category that, that we have in our kind of profile data or whatever that we call over the top, like uh, mm-hmm. cloud networking players. So like the likes of, of, of Alkira or, or Akedo, um, do they fill a, a similar niche here or, or how do you see them as, a, as an end user slash service provider in terms of um, uh, the, the marketplace of, of what they're bringing to, to customers? So one of the things about all these different connectivity options is it creates a multitude of opportunities for you to build a really complex network infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Not every organization um, can afford simply by size or scope to have um, the type of team or the type of internal knowledge base that I have right, here at Pfizer, right? So if I want to build an as you mentioned, over-the-top you know, SD-WAN global footprint or if I want to build a, an over-the-top connectivity just in North America and not have to, you know, contract with, you know, the, the, um, the typical service provider model, I can look at someone like Cato who does an over-the-top global SD-WAN service. So mm-hmm. they have uh, right now over 75 different points of presence. And I can go to them and I can say, look, I'm here, I'm here in all these locations. I want this SD-WAN thing. I don't, it's not my business, right? I don't make money selling SD-WAN. Mm-hmm. I make money doing something else. But I know this SD-WAN thing is something that will enable me to make more money. So can you build an SD-WAN infrastructure for me? Now, that's very different than managed SD-WAN that you might get from a typical service provider, right? So right. I'll go to them and say, well, I want a managed SD-WAN environment. They'll build you an SD-WAN cloud that's for you. And there might mm-hmm. be some shared infrastructure, but they'll build an SD-WAN cloud that's for but you. But it's not, it's not as a service. It's, it's, it's a traditional a contract. It's a traditional yeah. contract. It, you know, long delivery times, NPLS, and all of that. Whereas if you combine, you know, the, the Cato over-the-top SD-WAN network as a service with something like Equinix or Megaport or something like that, you can expand even the number of POPs that they have by backhauling it, you know, over those other networks as a service. Mm-hmm. If you look at someone like Alkira, Alkira does the same thing, but they're actually leveraging the public cloud provider backbone as their um, connectivity. So they are natively providing you connectivity into public cloud services. They're also natively providing you connectivity into your data centers or branch locations, all by, again, leveraging the physical infrastructure that someone's already put in the ground. So like I mentioned, because all of these providers are really offering you just a layer two, any to any, almost any to any location you can imagine, these companies like Cato and Alkira have started to build new businesses on top of that by developing these overlays on top that can give you, you know, give a, a enterprise or small medium business that doesn't want to, you know, build it on their own, the ability to leverage a fully defined service you know, from one of those over-the-top providers. So again, it's network as a service, but then you're looking at, you know, the higher layer um, model as opposed to, for us, we built our own SD-WAN on top of that. For us, we build our own SDN infrastructure on top of that because um, we're, we're large enough and we have enough knowledge base to be able to do that. Right, which, you know, Certainly, to be fair, probably puts you in the the minority, even among, yes. you know, sort of the largest, uh, you know, enterprises out there to have such such a sort of talent 
pool and you know deep bed of experience with with, with new technologies. I think cer- certainly something that we've heard a lot is that there's difficulty in this marketplace of just upskilling even those who have been in in the networking industry because these tools are all so new and developing kind of all the time, right? So yeah, it's really hard. You know, uh, you know, mentioning that right it used to be. You'd have an all Cisco shop and somebody would say, oh, I'm going to bring in a Juniper or mm-hmm. some other you know, provider. Or you had an all checkpoint shop. Somebody wanted to bring in a Palo Alto. Oh, I got to learn another operating system. What a headache, what a pain. <laughs> but now if you look at it, right, um, unless you're a single network infrastructure provider with a single cloud provider, but even then, okay, single cloud provider, single network infrastructure provider, you still have two different networking constructs. You got to learn that are completely dissimilar exactly. from each other. And yeah. because so many organizations are embarking on multi-cloud, this is where someone like Alkira also comes into play. They can help obfuscate the complexity of that connectivity between network infrastructure um, and you know, Google to AWS to Azure so that you see it in a more common view and it makes it easier to plug and play that as a managed service into your infrastructure. As opposed right. to Aviatrix, which does something similar, but they're giving you the DIY tools so you can build it yourself, mm-hmm. not as a managed environment. It's really an amazing time to be in our industry because there's so much changing so quickly. Right. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And, and that was actually really helpful context for me. This as an analyst gets dizzying because I cover a lot of different things, a lot of different places, but that, that I think um, seeing Aviatrix as the sort of DIY version of the Ariaka Cato model actually, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, All of these things that we're talking about really for a lot of customers, it seems to me um, will ultimately potentially supplant what they've been doing with their providers, especially like you mentioned, if you're getting a long-term contract from a managed services provider, traditional carrier, ILEC, what do you as an end user see in the next few years that developing into for the carriers? What is, what's the implications for them? What are the implications for how we think of kind of what a WAN is and who we get a WAN from, if that makes sense? So... So what I see is that um, these uh, network as a service providers and you know, the ability to build this over-the-top infrastructure from companies like Alkira or Cato or Ariaka, and, and there'll be more every day, it, it's just beginning, um, will really start to supplant the traditional NPLS cloud providers because if you have your you know, branch location, and it's got internet connectivity, and you can, you know, easily get, you know, here in my house, I've got, you know, AT&T multi-gig, so I've got, you know, Mm -hmm. I've got more bandwidth coming to my house. And we've we've heard the story about SD-WAN before, but now if you take that and extrapolate that to the branch, where I've got multi-gig connectivity into the branch using internet, and I bring that internet connection into, well, anywhere you want. Right, so I could bring that into a um, a network as a service provider, either by building my own POP inside of uh, Equinix or Digital Realty, or even if I don't want to do that, I could bring that directly into public cloud where all of my services are cloud hosted. Right, so right. you turn, you know, aside from the the small CPE that you might put in your branch location. I've turned the rest of my infrastructure into entirely an OPEX model instead mm-hmm. of a CAPEX model, which is mm-hmm. really interesting because one of the challenges you know, that we see every day in, in, in enterprise is nothing ever dies. Why does right. nothing right. ever die? Because nobody's brave enough to unplug something or brave <laughs> enough to you know, take that device down. Because it's the no old unplug does, it if you don't know what it does and then right. see who screams about it, right? See who screams the most, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm terrified for us to do that in, in our infrastructure because then suddenly you won't be able to buy a pizza anywhere. Right. And I certainly <laughs> wouldn't want that to happen, right? Yeah. So I, I think they're going to eat a good portion of the traditional service providers, um, branch, retail, 
type of business model. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because if we, if we, it's too bad we don't have a, a, a video element of this show for the most part. If we, if we had a right board, it's you know always in networking the the cloud is the part that you sort of don't want to talk about right now. You're you're essentially saying you can have all your branch offices around the cloud have a a gig maybe from from a, an MSO or something that that touches that cloud and from there you don't need to worry about it anymore whereas there there are a lot of bits little clouds within that cloud that previously used to be the the the, the IT infrastructure manager's problem right so and and the, the other piece of that right is you know one of the big headaches that you had early on with SD-WAN adoption is if you did you know multiple internet providers was managing all those contracts and all those circuits a real headache there's a whole new business model that's starting up that, that I've seen quite a few players in that well will do that management of your you know internet providers for you. Right. So they right. present you a single bill, single use. So you know it gets back to traditional telco type mindset where I only want one bill. I don't want to right. Just I bill. have one throat to right. choke. I have one contract. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so they provide you know program management for all of that internet connectivity. And then I'm leveraging, you know, all of the public cloud services and the native public cloud technology, regardless of which public cloud you select. And I can do that. I can reach all of the SaaS services, whether it's Salesforce or Workday or, you know, Oracle, you know, Oracle Cloud Interconnect for, for database infrastructure. I don't mm-hmm. have to physically build anything anymore. And because all of these cloud providers have regional availability, depending upon where you're right. located in the world. Even if you're, you know, in, in, in APAC, you're looking at, you know, um, Alibaba or some of the other mm-hmm. native cloud providers out there. Uh, oh, and, again, and, the, and the big three have, have expanded their footprints uh, yeah. over the last five years to, to where the, no matter, almost no matter where you are, if you're in a major business center, your, your latency is acceptable at this point. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the interesting parts to this, though, that, you know, we haven't seen play out is a lot of the um, PII regulations that are starting to show up with mm-hmm. where data is allowed to go or not allowed to go. And a lot of countries have very strict rules right. on, you know, telco, because in a lot of um, a lot of countries, um, telco connectivity is still managed by the country as a, you know, you know, there is part of the, the, the services that they offer like a utility, mm-hmm. you know, and it's run you now as almost an arm of the government. And, and it's interesting to see how those changes are going to be impacted based on all of these, you know, network as a service technology starting to be deployed. Mm-hmm. Well, you, that, that brings up an interesting point too, which is that from, from the, the carrier perspective, right? Of course, Everything we're talking about is still wires in the ground mm. or on poles or under the sea with, yeah. with that with routers and knocks and everything. Right. So there's still all that, you know, the the network is only ever an abstraction depending on who you're talking to. Right. So, yeah. so um, you're, you're you're sort of just shifting kind of uh, in, a, in a sense who's focused on on that part, which it, in, in this case would be the. The, the NAS providers themselves are, are leasing network from those same carriers that, that they're sort of competing against for that enterprise business. So there's always these, these complex layers of, of break bulk and co-opetition and whatnot in, in the telecom business, right? So. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's really interesting what you say, right? So a lot of, um, a lot of folks who are coming into the industry go, oh, yeah, networking you know, is not important anymore. Everything's in public cloud. You realize in public cloud, you know, there are real servers, there are real networks. routers, there yeah, are, exactly. real, there are yeah. real networks, right? It's not running like, hey, what am I doing? I'm building infrastructure in the cloud. You can't right. see it because I'm yeah. touching the cloud right there, now. Right? There is no you cloud. Know, <laughs> there is no cloud. It's just someone else's yeah. server. But exactly. it's the same thing with the network, right? The network is only getting more interesting, only getting more complex mm-hmm. as we move into all of these different overlays and o- overlays on top of overlays. And you know, abstracting these services. So the the need for talented network infrastructure engineers mm-hmm. is only growing. It's, it's right. not a shrinking landscape. 
Yeah, and this is you know topic for another time. In fact, I'm going to have this topic on the show with with uh, a service provider soon. But that's where you get into really the, the, on the networking side some of the really interesting stuff like automation of OSS BSS, right? Yeah. Allowing uh, you know all the way from uh, my interaction with my NAS provider to maybe they need to actually then spin up a circuit with their network providers and all of that, right? So so it's it is kind of automation all the way down, right? It's not just mm-hmm. who you're interacting with, so. Yeah, it, it's it's really cool because you know behind that web page where you're doing the self service with any of the network as a service providers, there's still contracts and things going on with the people mm-hmm. who are actually laying the cable in the ground, with the people who actually own the routers and switches that are still passing all that traffic. You know why all the networking vendors are still doing really well and still growing as opposed to shrinking. You know even as we move into you know public cloud or, you know, platform as a service or, you know, whatever is in someone else's data center. Right. Right. Excellent. Well, so to, to kind of wrap things up here, this is a self-serving question because I, I have a question about this on our latest WAN manager survey, which is still open. If you're listening to this and you are an IT infrastructure professional, uh, you know, please uh, go to, to, to WANform.com and, and you can find the survey there. But, um, uh, we we have seen in the survey results so far fairly little uptake of explicitly kind of NAS services so far. It's 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 kind of where SD WAN was when we started our survey in 2018, for example. Do you see a similar kind of growth trajectory uh, as we saw with SD WAN, where where you know it's 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 gone over just the course of a few years from something that was for the the, the bleeding edge kind of folks to a fairly ubiquitous thing that everybody kind of understands they need, or do you think this remains a, a kind of um, certain problems that are in certain uh, verticals um, uh, uh, that, that will always be a kind of niche? So there's only two ways you get to do anything in our industry. It's mm-hmm. either going to make me money or it's going to help me save money. So every new technology, the first question I always ask is, okay, which one of those two does do you clearly explain to me you can provide, right? If you right. can't clearly explain which one of those knobs you help me turn, then you're just selling me something that's shiny. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the network as a service, what does it enable me to do? Okay. If I can reduce turnaround time to delivering infrastructure, then I can increase my velocity of delivering services, which means I can start to make money Money Extra. more quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Make money more quickly, right? Yeah. If I no longer have to worry about um, paying for long-term contracts, paying for as much physical network infrastructure myself, then what are you doing? You're potentially saving the money. Because you know, one of the things I always um, point out to folks is that the real cost of your network infrastructure doesn't come when you buy the router or switch. It comes in the day two maintenance, the day two support of keeping all of that infrastructure up and running in your environment, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if you reduce the capital outlay that you're putting out there and the number of routers and switches and whatnot that you're buying and turn your environment into entirely an operational-based model, I noticed our bandwidth and our business in this region has started to tail off a little bit. All right, can you go on the portal site and crank it down a little bit and then we oh it doesn't cost us as much all of a sudden i have to turn any routers yeah. turn any switches off right yeah and and if i go all in this other place i see that it's increasing go turn it up right mm-hmm. so it's actually enabling us to do both save money and make more money so i absolutely believe this is going to be a very quick very very fast growing um mm-hmm. a business model and and as i mentioned the opportunities for building and reselling services on top of this, you know, you look at, you know, right. the right. content delivery model. Well, now, you know, the content delivery model used to be entirely dependent upon, you know, buying bandwidth from, you know, traditional carriers or buying bandwidth, you know, from, you know, MPLS connectivity. Now you can do content delivery to almost anywhere. Right. In a much more direct manner by engaging with these network as a service providers, it's mm-hmm. really um, an interesting um, concept. And, that, and that's a great sort of uh, focus: is that 
content is the thing that is constantly shifting, right? And yep. and so it's it's a perfect uh, sort of use case example of how obviously as as different bits of content, whatever that might mean for for a bunch of different lines of business, uh, ebb and flow in different geographic locations, everything. It's the, that that reaction to it that makes this so powerful. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be really really amazing. Um, and definitely a growing segment of our industry. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, we're that's why we're always happy to stay on top of what's going on, even if it uh, means I have to go do extra homework for some episodes. <laughs> I think the next episode that we do on on uh, digital twins for networks is is going to have me doing a lot more homework than, than I actually uh, do. <laughs> that's our next really interesting topic. Yeah, it's something I'm excited to look forward to talking to. All right, we'll 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 have to put a put a sort of a bookmark in that one and, and return to it once I've I've done some work. But in the meantime, Michael, um, anybody listening that wants to keep up with you, how can they find you? Is LinkedIn the best ways? Yeah, so LinkedIn is where I'm most current. It's where I'm posting articles, where I'm writing blogs, where I'm sharing content. Um, I have a Twitter account. I don't use it very frequently. And maybe Twitter's all going to blow up now. I'm not moving to, to Mastodon and, until, you know, I, I see some stability there right. or some need. I, I, personally, I think LinkedIn is, is probably the best way to find me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can follow me there or ask to connect. It's something that I'm always looking to learn and communicate and collaborate with my peers out in the industry. Yeah, and, and look out for for the next uh, Florida the next big thing. NUA event that hopefully doesn't get canceled oh. by a weather event. <laughs> don't, don't, <laughs> I should have said that out loud. Yeah, that that's also you know a, a really big thing. So if you go out and you know um, use whatever search provider you want to use, DuckDuckGo and Google, um, and look up US NUA and networking, um, the networking association. If there's no branch around your state, feel free to start one up. And Absolutely. there's a real good community there of folks who are willing to help you get that started so that we can build more of a community of infrastructure, engineers, architects, and developers. Especially now that we can get together IRL and have yes. beers and whatnot. Yes, right? so. yes. No more, no more virtual Zooms. You know, uh, Oh, yeah, no more virtual Zooms drinking events. Although those are sometimes fun too. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's good, good that we could replace that with something, but uh, definitely um, getting together and, and uh, the the synergistic things that happen there has certainly uh, been sorely missed. So Yes, absolutely. Look forward to Excellent. seeing you in person too, Greg. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. All right, thanks so much All for right. being on the show again. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Telegeography Explains the Internet comes from the experts here at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. And I also wrote that theme song you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com, and we'll see you on the Internet.